We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello out there in uh, archaeology podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm the president and founder of the California Rock Art Foundation. And what we do is we identify, evaluate, manage, and conserve rock art both in Alta, California and in Baja, California. We conduct field trips. We have trainings, exercise. We do research. And in every way possible, we try to preserve, protect, and coordinate treasures of Alta and Baja California rock art, of which there are many and diverse. We also work closely with Native Americans and uh, partner with them to recognize and protect sacred sites. So for more info about the fabulous California Rock Art Foundation, you can go to carockart.org. Also, I'm I'm open to give me a call, 805-312-2261. We would uh, welcome sponsorship or underwriting, uh, helping us to defray the costs of our podcasts and also membership in California Rock Art Foundation. And of course, donations since we are a 501c3 nonprofit scientific and educational corporation. God bless everyone out there in podcast land. You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. Hello out there in Archaeology Podcast land. This is going to be Rock Art Podcast number 59, just shy of number 60. And we have the um, the furthest away gentleman who's going to be talking to us directly from Bangkok. His name is Dr. Noel Hidalgo Tan. His uh, specialty is archaeology and rock art. And he's going to talk about uh, the history and the prehistory of the study of rock art and the regional outreach and the remarkable relationship of some of the uh, discoveries and the extraordinary field of archaeology and rock art out in Southeast Asia. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel with your uh, rock art podcast on the archaeology podcast network we are uh, blessed and honored to have a a gentleman that is probably the furthest afield in terms of geography that we've uh, ever interviewed in the 60 episodes here this is dr noel hidalgo tan or tan he indeed is an eminent archaeologist from southeast asia he does specialize in rock art among uh, other facets of the regional archaeology noel is is known for quite a wide-ranging array of different accomplishments in many different areas. He has a background, uh, wonderful discoveries at Angkor Wat. He uh, also at work and specialized focused on some of his uh, current projects in Southeast Asia. He does uh, youth outreach uh, and and many other aspects of rock art and archaeology in general in Southeast Asia. Dr. Tan, are you you there? Hi, hello from Bangkok. Yes, Bangkok. Can you imagine? That's uh, that's a few miles away from Bakersfield, California. It is just before eight in the morning here. Aye, and and here it's about uh, six p.m. So we're or at least we're in the same same. Uh, we might be the same day. I don't know. Are you? Uh, no, no. I'm I'm coming from the future. You're coming from the future. It's to, it's your one day uh, one day future, and it's the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> it is. <laughs> See, uh, and, and I get an extra day on you. I know you like to be called Noel. You've told me about this. And I know we open it up in a variety of ways. I think the audience always wants to know a bit about your background and how you came to be associated with this discipline of anthropology, archaeology, the study of rock art and the uh, religious area, etc. And of course, Southeast Asia itself. So why don't we kick it off with that uh, question and we'll see where it goes. Sure. So thank you so much for being one of our uh, most honored guest scholars and coming from uh, Southeast Asia. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you might call me an honored guest once we're done with this. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take Southeast Asia as a very diverse place to begin with. And I, I come from a really an equally diverse background so, like I said, I'm, I'm coming to you from Bangkok, but I am originally from Singapore, 
And I, I grew up there for most of my life. I then studied in, I did studied archaeology in uh, Australia. Hmm. Came back to Singapore, worked a little while in a corporate job. I then did my master's in archaeology in Malaysia. And then I went back to Australia for my PhD. And then now I work uh, here in Bangkok for the Regional Center for Archaeology and Fine Arts. And that is hmm. under a, a parent organization called the Southeast Asian Ministers uh, of Education Organization. Fascinating. I, I don't think we have something like that in um, the U.S. Uh, in the United States. I'm trying to think of what an analog would be for that particular entity. But it sounds, yeah, it's, it's not really it's easy a, for me to explain it to to, to most people. I, I, I guess I, I would just call it a Southeast Asian version of UNESCO. Oh, good, good. Yeah. So it sounds like it has a, a number of hats and probably one of its jobs has to do with some of those remarkable archaeological manifestations of religious spheres that exist in Southeast Asia in terms of their preservation research and, it does. and public interpretation, I would guess. The Ministers of Education organization has its base in Bangkok, and then they have many centers. So uh, there are many centers around the region. So like, say, in, in Singapore, where I'm from, you have the Center for English Language. In Malaysia, you have the Center for Mathematics and Science. And then in, in Thailand, one of the many centers they have is the uh, Center for Archaeology and Fine Arts. So that's, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a sub-center of a larger regional organization. What is your ethnic background and where did you grow up and how did you ever get interested in the study of archaeology? Ha. Huh. So I am officially in Singapore, I would be classed as Chinese. Okay. My dad is Chinese. My mom is Filipina. Ah. So that, that explains the Hidalgo in my name. That's a very interesting combination. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm not typically Singaporean. I think I, 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 there aren't many Chinese Filipinos in, in Singapore, at least not when I was growing up. And certainly there isn't even... Uh, you know, when I grew up in Singapore, there wasn't even a, an archaeology department. No, no one mm. really grows up to be an archaeologist. So, <laughs> uh, to to be you know to be an archaeologist in a in a country of uh, five million, it's quite rare. There are there are more archaeologists in Singapore now, thankfully. But when I when I started out, I started out with the understanding that I was going to be an archaeologist and probably not be able to come back to Singapore to work. So it's really I lucky see. that I I did get a job. Uh, within the region, working regionally. So I do get to travel quite a fair bit. I presume that you, given you're from Southeast Asia and doing all this work in a variety of different countries, you must uh, speak or at least be familiar with several different languages. I can speak some. I, I can I can probably get away with, well, like say in Thailand, I, I can get away with being Thai for a minute. <laughs> uh-huh. And then after that, then I realize, okay, he's not Thai, and then, and okay. then but he can still speak some Thai. So, yeah. Uh, and then, and then usually I just break down and say, okay, I'm not Thai. Uh, uh-huh. uh, speak slowly, or, or, but usually if the interactions are less than a minute, I'll get by. Okay, so you understand some of the uh, Southeast Asian languages. Uh, I can order food for sure. I think it's really important to be able to know how to say hello, thank you, and where's the washroom. That's that's really the most important. There you go, the critical elements. So you find yourself in a, I guess, an important or prominent position. You were saying that there aren't many archaeologists in Singapore per se, are there? No, there's no formal field of study. So, so archaeologists oh, wow. in Singapore uh, all have to study overseas. There isn't like a place that really employs archaeologists in Singapore. Uh, there are a couple now, uh, a couple of um uh, academic departments that have an archaeologist too. So it's, it's mm-hmm. still mainly academia. Yes. Like say in the US, where you have consultants, archaeologists, or CRM work. Uh, you don't right. really have those uh, in this part of the world. Okay. So in terms of where your research is geographically centered, where would you say most of your studies have been conducted? I specialize in the rock art of Southeast Asia. That's a pretty big area, right? <laughs> it is. Uh, I've, I've done most of my work in the mainland. So uh-huh. uh, Thailand, Myanmar, Laos, Cambodia. Uh-huh. And tremendous ethnic diversity 
and a, I would presume a, a grandiose historical thread going back hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yes, and yes and no. I, there is a lot of rock art in Southeast Asia. Lots mm-hmm. of people don't, don't realize that. Uh, mm-hmm. They tend to be understudied for also for a variety of region, uh, reasons. That they tend uh-huh. to be remote places to begin with. Not not very well known unless you you actually go out and look for them. In mm-hmm. most cases, you know, I, I rarely I rarely find something. Most most of them are already known to local people. Uh huh. And the nature of of Southeast Asia is such that populations have been traditionally very mobile. So they, they move around a lot. So you know you don't have you don't have like say in the the rural areas, villages are maybe a few hundred years old. They've they've moved in from somewhere else. Okay, gotcha. When you look at these rock art sites, do they stand out and, and distinctively represent the iconic elements of certain cultures? Can you immediately, almost in a transparent way, date them because of subject matter or because of the uh, you know, the, is is there writing and, and literacy incorporated in those elements? Or is it more difficult along the lines of some of the things we must do in North America? Hmm. In in this part of the world, where I work with, uh, in, in mainland Southeast Asia, yeah. we usually just characterize rock art as rock art from the historic period and rock art history, from everything history. else that is not historic is prehistory. Which is which is really right because prehistory can can you know can go all the way up to the last hundred years. We call it historic rock art because there are images that we can date. So you know, if it's an image of the Buddha, it's mm-hmm. it's historic. It's an image of a Hindu god, it's historic. If it's an image of a car, it's historic. But by and large, you know, what we think of as prehistoric rock art, and that is the majority of the rock art in, in Southeast Asia, they they are just largely defined by red paintings, period. So it's a very wide scope. Is it uh, religious traditions then, and the ethnic associations of those religious traditions that mark the various types and expressions of rock art in Southeast Asia for the historic complement? Uh, yes. So for the historic rock art, I can think of, of two classes. The ones we find in, in, say, typically Buddhist Southeast Asia now, they are cave sites or rock shelters, and, and they are associated with a, with a Buddhist tradition. So Theravada Buddhism is the, is the, the main Buddhist tradition observed here, except for Vietnam. And what ages are those? What did they go back to in terms of chronology for that Buddhist tradition? So, so Theravada Buddhism came around around the, the second millennium, and it comes in it comes in different forms. It comes through Sri Lanka around around one the eleventh the tenth century, and then mm-hmm. it spreads from from Sri Lanka to Myanmar to the rest of Southeast Asia. Okay. But, you know, there are other forms of Buddhism that are, in absolute terms, Buddhism came to Southeast Asia around the 4th century. Before that, you already had strands of Hinduism, like um, there were there were forms of Hindu gods being worshipped in Southeast Asia here. And so the, the things about these Indic religions is that they do tend to use caves as places of worship. And and often that melds with a very with a with a local tradition of animism. Most of Southeast Asia was animist, so we believed in, in nature spirits, and that still continues today. You you'll see it everywhere in Thailand. We have outside every building there is a house, uh, a small house built for the spirits, and that's for the the spirits of the property. And so you know we we have a, a very rich tradition of you know I say it's like we're living in a Disney movie. Every every tree is a spirit. Every uh, river is a spirit. Every building is a spirit. Uh, everything is a spirit. So, with that with that rich animistic theology, is it complemented with an element of what we call, for lack of a better term, shabins and shamanism? Yes, I, but I guess we call them we call them mediums here. Yes, so they are they are individual ritual adepts that help to connect 
sort of the uh, celestial to the terrestrial world? How's that? Yes. 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 I, I also think that the, I mean, the, there are ritual specialists for sure, but the idea of the supernatural is an everyday occurrence too. So now the, the, the mediums, do they use uh, altered states of consciousness and, and trance? And is there a certain, you know, eth- ethnogens or uh, means of, of obtaining some sort of altered states of consciousness that they use, or is this done differently? Yes. In some, so it, for, for me, it's always going to be yes in some cases because Southeast Asia is so so diverse yeah. and so wide. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, I can think of some specific cases where they, where they do. So in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Yeah. I, I guess the point I really want to make is that they're all uh, everyday experiences. So even even okay. today, you you like a, it's common to see a shopkeeper first thing in the morning is they'll they'll buy a, a bottle of Fanta. Uh, uh-huh. and set it outside to give to the spirits because the spirits like better. And that's like, a, yeah, that's, that is an everyday occurrence. So this is a vibrant and alive and contemporary religious tradition that does go back hundreds, even thousands of years. Yes. Which is remarkable. <laughs> we, it it know, is. It's, it's remarkable just, for you. It's like an everyday, everyday thing for me. <laughs> right, right. But when, when we think about it here in in North America and think about the kind of research I've done, you know, to see that continuity, to see that, that tether of history and, and theology is amazing. I would say. Yeah. It does exist. Also because, um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you mean and see where you're coming from. Uh, another, another peculiarity of, of what you see here in Southeast Asia is that there's a lot of syncretism. So even though we have later, later Indic religions coming in and Buddhist uh, Buddhism comes in, they, they do get blended into this into this whole scheme of animism. So one of the one of the, the works that I read, which I, I can't remember who I'm quoting now, but uh, it's it's like yes, you you have this whole pantheon of of spirits that live around you that you have to you know supplicate and pay respect to, and then Buddhism comes in, and then the the Buddha is seen as uh, the chief of the spirits, you know, he gotcha. becomes elevated to to the point where okay, we we acknowledge that there's a spirit world. We acknowledge as Buddhism, and the way we do that is that now the Buddha is considered the chief of all the spirits. Fantastic. Well, that's our first uh, segment. Catch you on the flip flop, gang. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code rockart everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to your Rock Art Podcast. This is the 59th episode on the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is your host, Dr. Alan Garfinkel. We're uh, pleased to have Dr. Tan, Noel Tan, from Southeast Asia, who's going to be talking to us about his uh, discoveries and recognition of the rock art traditions there. Noel, welcome back. Thanks for uh, that first segment. I was so uh, hyper-focused. We uh, used up all of our time together and I was shocked. So uh, let's kick it off immediately and begin talking about rock art and what we uh, think we know or might know about the various rock art traditions and their relationship or not to the religious expressions there in Southeast Asia? Sure. So there are about probably a thousand sites in, in Southeast Asia that we know of already. One of the, one of the difficulties that, that we've had for, for rock art when I first started, so I've been, I've been doing this for about maybe 15 years now, 
But uh, one of the difficulties we've had when we first started is uh, rock art has always been a, a by the way kind of kind of tradition. So like uh, you know you have all these archaeological site reports say we go to this cave, we discovered all these stone tools uh, and it's a burial here and all these things. Oh, and by the way, there's some rock art here and and. That's been mainly the case for, for a lot of the early rock art studies. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, we, we only have really a lot of scant mentions of rock art in Southeast Asia. And, and one of the things I wanted to do is to, to just be systematically record rock art, a, a, a rock art site, and be able to do that uh, over time and, and build that, that baseline recording. So that's that's how I that's how I started into to to rock uh, rock art during my my masters in Malaysia, mm-hmm. and then uh, when it got to my time in Australia, I wanted to do a bit uh, a bit bigger, go bigger in my study. So I, I was looking at uh, this phenomenon in in uh, mainland Southeast Asia where you have rock art sites that are also at the same time religious shrines. So you have a you have a, a rock art site and a rock shelter and a cave, and then there is a Buddhist shrine at the same place or a Hindu shrine in the same area. And I was wondering whether, well, you know, there are more than a few of these sites uh, that I can identify. Is there something going on here? Is there a, a trend that we can see? Is there like maybe a progression over time? And the short answer is eh, maybe. In in some cases, you you can see like a long progression of a site being used. Uh, and being transformed. So, like we have a we have a site in Cambodia where you have this uh, what we call prehistoric rock art. We we don't have a date, but we know it's it's pretty old. It's red paintings, and then later on in 10th century, we we it becomes a, a hermitage for a for a Brahmin priest who turns it into a shrine for Vishnu, and then uh, now in modern day Cambodia, people still come back uh, to the shrine to pay worship to the to the local spirit, which is now enshrined in the in the carvings and the rock, so you have you have rock paintings and then rock carvings, uh, and people just keep coming back to this place. So you have multiple religious traditions that that are sort of not evolving per se, but sort of layered on this one. They, they just end up being in the same place, and 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 part of the part of the reason reason I guess is because the place is nice to stay in. Well, yeah, is there a you know, in terms of some of the contemporary ways that anthropologists and archaeologists are thinking about it here in the States, they call it landscape archaeology. Is there some sort of enduring nature or characteristics of that space that could be recognized as having special supernatural, religious, metaphorical qualities that induce people to be there, occupy it, use it, and represent their religious theology on the rocks. Yeah. And then you tie in with the local animistic understanding of, okay, yes. certain, certain spirits live in caves. The Buddha was drawn to caves because it was a, a good place for, med- for meditation. And so all these, all these meanings get, get layered into, into uh, sites like these as well. But then you have, sure. you have other sites uh, that, have, that have no connection at all. There was one site in Cambodia and then another site in Thailand. There is a, a rock shelter with a Buddhist shrine inside. And then in the other side of the shelter, there's a, like a little small, like tiny, tiny rock markings mm-hmm. that, that don't really mean anything, but they were, they were artificial. And then in mm-hmm. front of the shrine, there are, there are standing stones, Buddhist uh, standing stones uh, that date to, I think, the, the ninth century. And then I, I spoke to the, the, the monk at the monastery nearby, and he says, well, oh yeah, my monastery has been here for a thousand years. And then I asked him, can you tell me about the rock art? And then he asked me, what rock art? <laughs> so, you know, so, so I, you know, we, 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 we shipped it off in a van and then we brought him, brought him to the shrine and then he looked at the rock art and like, no, you had no idea it was there. And, and, and that's, the, that's the other story that you have, you have a total indifference to the rock art uh, that's in the site. Well, that's, that, 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 you know, is sort of an ongoing story and a saga, you know, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You only see what you expect to see and you only see what is conceptually or culturally part of your purview. And if you're not looking for rock art 
or if you're not expecting to find it, you probably won't see it or you'll see or you'll miss it or you'll focus on the elements of the landscape, the cultural, the religious shrines that speak to your heart. And those are the ones that are significant in your cosmological realm, I would guess. Am I correct? Yeah, and and, the, and ultimately the point is that they still came back to the same place, right? They still they still converged in that same, yeah, uh, same outcrop in the in the wilderness, yeah. which is yeah. which is really interesting. So yeah, we, we have these we have these uh, two distinct stories of, of site usage in in Southeast Asia when it comes to okay. when it comes to these um, rock art sites that become religious shrines. Sometimes you can see a, a progression over time over long periods of time. And then sometimes you see a really old rock art, and then a thousand years later, someone sets up shop. And there's a, there's sort of an amazing hiatus or abandonment of that particular place, but it comes back much later. Huh? Fascinating. Yeah, and so there's, there's very little interaction you see between the the, the religious religious religious, uh, religious tradition and the okay. and the rock art. So I've never actually seen the rock art itself being worshipped. Most of the time, you know, it's just like, okay, this this place is powerful. This place has some sort of spiritual potency, uh-huh. uh, and and the entire place. It's like in, in at least one site, I know that the the rock art is protected because there is a, a shrine uh, on the floor, and no one can get to the right. rock art because of the shrine. Do the do the religious traditions that at least recognize the rock art have any explanation or context for it? Do they know? or have an understanding of who or what created the art or the subject matter itself? Is there subjects in there that uh, interlink or no. are part of they They, they don't seem particularly no. interested in it. <laughs> Fascinating. No, not at all. So there's, a, yeah. there's an entire indifference to the rock art. It's, it's there. We, won't, we wow. won't destroy it. We know it's there, but it's just yeah. there. It's not. Huh. Is there any relationship between the archaeological elements that are there, be it architecture or the physical remains and the rock art. No, that, no. that too. There's no, uh, at least at least that place that where I told you the, the, the shrine is in front of the rock art. Yeah, so yeah. Be, because the temple has been there for a while. They, yeah, yeah. So it makes your job a little harder, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. You, you can't say, I, I want to excavate here because you can't. Yeah. What is this rock art? What is it date to? What's its subject matter? Who did it? Why did they do it? What does it mean? If I asked you all those questions, you probably have a, a somewhat of a hard time occasionally responding. Yes or no? Yeah, no. The the I guess the common interpretation is that oh, they they were made by hunter gatherers who lived here thousands of years ago. That's 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 what it is. So, is the development of the study of rock art in South Asia? Where does it fall along the lines of sort of our understanding worldwide in terms of trying to understand its theoretical and chronological and, and some of its cosmological elements? So we started out with, with rock art studies here still just being very descriptive. You know, this is the rock art. This is what it looks like. Here's our uninformed interpretations. Uh-huh. And then in the last in the last decade or two, we, we have been getting lots of good science in now. So so my colleagues in Indonesia, they've been doing really good dates uh, of rock art sites. So in Sulawesi, in Borneo, we have some of the oldest rock art sites in the world now. They are dated to forty five thousand years old, and that's and that's that's completely changed the way we think about rock art because. I, I I know they are old. That's that's amazing. That is some of the oldest rock art sites in the world. It is. It, we we keep we keep getting consistent dates. How how do they date them? I guess you know, sort of a thumbnail. What are the images of at forty five thousand years ago? So forty five thousand year old uh, rock art in Sulawesi that was announced this year is yeah. a picture of a um, it's a picture of a native pig. Yes, yes. I, I think I remember seeing that. Yeah. So that, that one, makes sense. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an animal. And, yeah. And, and, and before it, that, we have we have dates from 43,000 years, 39,000 years. So they're fairly consistent across the board about the, about the dates. Beautiful. And, and are they, um, they're, I presume they're in caves. 
They're in caves. They're they're in they're in uh, proper caves. And are they in are they polychrome? Or are they in monochrome? Are they just red, or do they do they have uh, many colors? They are just red paintings, different shades of red, uh, but mostly red, dark purple uh, at the most. And how does one go about dating the uh, rock art back that old? So the ones in Sulawesi are, are dated by uranium series. Yeah. So you you it's like carbon dating, but you you, you date yeah, the uranium, yeah, uranium thorium. Yeah. yeah. And they do a they do a sandwiching of the of the the pigment. So they they date the layer underneath the the pigment, and then they date the layer above the pigment. So you get a really precise uh, uh, date of when the pigment was applied. Well, that's. That's rather amazing and that's rather significant. Are there archaeological materials intimate or physically associated with that kind of um, expression, those, those cave paintings? There are. So uh, in some of these caves, we, we do see, and here, here the argument is, is out on whether they are, they are purposely built as decorative pieces or whether they are just byproducts of, of some sort of manufacture. But you, you have like, flakes, stone flakes with scratches mm -hmm. of them. And and these sites are I mean, these sites are still still being investigated. So, so sure. the, the ones in Silver we say that they're being they're being investigated in the in the context of all right, when did when did humans reach uh Australia? Right. Because we, we know that they were there they were there around fifty thousand years ago. They they must have come through Southeast Asia. And so, you know, all these rock art, all these all these findings that you have mm -hmm. from the from the Paleolithic all, all associated mm -hmm. with the movement from from Southeast Asia down. We we have we have like forty five thousand year old dates in, in Indonesia, which which suggests that there are rock art sites in mainland Southeast Asia that are older, mm -hmm. or as old. Uh, we just we just haven't dated them yet. Right. And what about the corollary archaeological assemblage? I presume that that's some sort of a flake stone and. There are no other figurines or or other kinds yeah. of. Yeah, we only have the flake stones, uh, the stone tools, the lithics to find. Um, yes. Not in the tropics. You don't get a lot of human remains that last that long. Right. None of those Venus figures, huh? <laughs> no, none of the Venus figures. <laughs> that would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would be. That would really be something. So I'm trying to think if we have any any kind of figurative. I don't yeah, think so. I, I don't think so. I don't, all right. So, so going from the uh, beginnings of rock art, what's the next tradition we see after the uh, most primitive and incipient sort of uh, animal ceremonialism? What comes next in the, in the uh, majesty, in the evolution of rock art? That's, that's the thing. So, so I've, I've been trying to find like strands of, all right, are, are there ways that we can look at rock art instead of just single sites? And yes. start comparing sites across the region. So, right. so I, you know, I've been I've been just playing around with different ways. A few years ago, I was looking at um, elephant depictions in rock art, mm -hmm. which is interesting because so you you have like the really early depictions of rock art, uh, uh, elephants, presumably wild elephants, and they are always depicted small because they are things that you observe from far away because you don't want to be close to a wild elephant. Mm -hmm. And then once you get to the That's historic weird. period where elephants are tamed or elephants become a symbol for the Buddha, then you have close-ups of elephants or larger elephants. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have this trend where, okay, prehistoric elephants tend to be small and then, and then they get bigger over time or, or they get uh, seen as tamed over time. I, I don't like the word domesticated because you don't right. really domesticate an elephant. You don't, <laughs> uh, you know, you don't, you don't, back in those days and, and today still, you you essentially capture a young elephant and then tame it from young. That's that's uh, what you do. Well, this is just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. I, I remember seeing like um, an old documentary from, from the 1930s. And this is a bit of trivia for you, but yeah, the guys who made King Kong Yes. In the 1930s, after they made King yes. Kong, they made this documentary in Laos, in northern Thailand, uh, okay. where they, they, they filmed uh, villagers capturing a baby elephant. And then two days after they did that, they, the village got stampeded by elephants. There was no more. <laughs> right? So, you know, it's, it's not something you, you, one does not just simply 
right. taming elephants. And when and one doesn't mess with elephants in Southeast yeah. Asia. Uh, obviously, it has uh, terrible ramifications. So yeah, a few years ago, I, I came across this. There was this new site in Myanmar, in Burma, that uh, that was just discovered. It was it was a, a brilliant uh, rock shelter with a really high wall, and you could just barely see the the outline of an elephant, a life size elephant. Wow. So you know, it's a, a large elephant. And then once you once you run it through D stretch and you got the the scans of it, you realize that okay, not not only is it a, a large a life size elephant, but it is an elephant that's surrounded by people, and the elephant has a a leash on the neck, so it it might very well be the first instance of an elephant taming scene. That's fantastic! How exciting! Well, we'll catch up the flip flop gang for the uh, talk to you soon. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Hello, gang. This is our third segment, the final conclusion of the three-part story of rock art in Southeast Asia. We're uh, blessed to have Noel with us, Dr. Tan, and he's going to talk about some of his some of his outreach and his educational efforts on the study of rock art. Noel, let's kick it off, and I'll I'll give you the platform here to talk about how you have begun to share your passion for the study of rock art with. Uh, the online folks as well as the general public. Yeah. Well, so, you know, like how I said in the start, you know, one one doesn't grow up in Singapore wanting to become an archaeologist, right? So one of the one of the first things I, I did once I realized that, okay, I, I, I really do want to be an archaeologist, but there's no way to, to learn to be an archaeologist in Singapore. Uh, so one of the first things I did was, okay, if I, if I can't learn, maybe I should learn for myself. And I decided to start up a website about the archaeology of Southeast Asia. In this website, all I did was to just just collect the news of archaeology uh, in the region and then just just post it up as a as a as a news blog, just to keep myself and and whoever might be interested uh, updated. Uh, and that has that has grown. So I've I've kept uh, working on on this website for how long? 16 years now, 20, 2000. How many, how many I, years? 16 years. 16. Like I said, on Twitter. Yeah, 16 years on a website. Boy, the internet, yeah. has the internet been around 2006, <laughs> so no, 15 years. <laughs> wow, that's, that's amazing. T- tell me, tell me how many uh, followers, subscribers, views you have. Give me some sense of the oh. audience. So the the audience, I, I get it like it's it's not very big. I, I have say um, between around six thousand visitors, unique visitors to the website every month. Instagram is about seven seven thousand. I have an email list of about a thousand people. Uh, you know, they they get the news uploaded to them. Twitter, I'm on Twitter. So everything's on SoutheastAsianArchaeology.com. So that's that's fantastic. So that's your niche. You're known as SoutheastAsianArchaeology.com. Thank you. Yeah, for for a while, I I used to be going to these conferences, and everyone comes up to me and says, "You're that guy. You're the guy from the website." And, yes, I'm the guy. <laughs> uh, I, I I made it into a conference paper once. Uh, it's it's uh-huh. quite funny. Uh, and it's 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 been my way of, of keeping in touch with the community and and also oh, just yeah, just being wonderful. knowledgeable about 
what's happening in, in, in the world. And, and so I have a resource guide for, for the Rock Out of Southeast Asia on, on that website too. Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, if you want to find out about, you know, research papers, uh, uh, pictures of sites, it's, it's over there. That's wonderful. Uh, that's, that's something that I, I've had for, for a long time. It's, it's, it's probably like the, the longest professional thing I've done. You know, it, it, it started before I became a, a an archaeology student. Now that mm -hmm. I'm still working uh, in in an archaeology role in an intergovernment organization, I still I still run it. It's been very useful uh, for myself, and I hope for for people. So it's a resource uh, for the general public and also for the scholarly community of Southeast Asian rock art scholars, avocationalists, those interested in that subject. Correct? Yeah. So, so it's it's been it's been a, a, a um, I feel like a genuine form of, of public outreach, and I'm I'm quite proud of of that that achievement. Well, you well you should be. That's quite quite a lot of continuity. I don't I don't have much of anything that that I have. I've I've switched wives three times since then. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I guess the one thing of continuity is I'm still doing archaeology for like the last 50 years but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a it's an endlessly engaging subject matter rock art and archaeology is just fantastic utterly fantastic I can't tell you it, it does make my my um, my work professionally um, easy too because you know my my job is to keep informed of the the going on goings on in the archaeology of the region. Uh, and so, you know, my my day job now as the senior specialist in archaeology at the Regional Center for Archaeology and Fine Arts is is very broadly to promote archaeology in the region and to and to improve professional practice in the region. I would say that's a very very hard job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you? I couldn't even imagine having a job description like that. That's fabulous. What a niche! It is a very wide well, mandate. It's it's really it's really fun. It's it's. I really get to do a lot of different things. Yeah, what a, what a great opportunity to to uh, outreach to the general public, scholars, to share your enthusiasm and passion for the subject. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. So, so of all the things you've been doing and are doing, what's your what are you most excited about? So, one of the things that that were, were, I'm, I'm getting to do for the, the next year, the upcoming year, is you know I, I've been I've been in this uh, in this center for eight years now and i haven't really done anything officially uh on rock art because uh wh when i joined with we, we just finished a, a series of rock art workshop workshops and I, I had to you know work on other priorities in the region mm -hmm. you know underwater archaeology heritage and tourism you know a lot of you know there are a lot of different areas to that, that need uh work on but finally i've been able to 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 do something that i'm actively interested in because of the pandemic, we you know we've had to change some of our programs online. So this year we were supposed to have a, a field school on bones conservation uh, in Thailand. Obviously, for uh, because of the situation, we weren't able to do that. So we we converted it into an online course, where, which was successful. We had like 177 participants from around the world. So we you know. Oh yes, a, a lot of Southeast Asian participants, which is our main audience. But we had uh, people from Ukraine, people from Peru, come join us to to learn about you know human human bone archaeology in Southeast Asia, and that, that was really interesting. That's fantastic! What a remarkable accomplishment! Congratulations! Yeah, next year we're able to do an online course on rock art. Uh, finally, uh, and that's because uh, from the from the course, uh, people said, well, you know, why don't you do a course about rock art? And I said, yeah, why don't we do a course about rock art? <laughs> uh, and, and quite happily, we were able to do that now. Um, is, 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 the course, is the course free? Is it? Uh... It's a small fee. Um, okay. This year, we charged about $20. It's a really small fee. We want to keep it uh, affordable. Uh, it's, an, it's like an introductory level course. And how long of a course is it? How many particular hours is one, uh, you know, tendered or associated with this material? It's an eight-week course, and you would okay. spend maybe four hours a week. And and we designed oh, wow. the lectures to be short, so you you 
you take short lectures, you take a quiz, and then you have a wealth of um, other materials to read if you want to. If you don't want Amazing. to, it's okay. Uh, I find that most most uh, students do end up reading the, the supplementary material, which is great. Yeah. So you said it's, is it four classes a week? Is that right? Uh, four hours a week. So four release hours all the lectures yeah. in, in one go on a Monday and you can, you can take it whenever you want because we know that people have different wow. schedules. Well, yeah. Well, that is quite a commitment to produce that corpus of information on rock art studies. Well, I don't do it alone. So uh, for, for this rock art course, I, I, we're going to be enlisting a, a global team of experts so I, I have I have colleagues in Southeast Asia. We're going to talk about different aspects of uh, rock art in Southeast Asia. We've you know colleagues mm -hmm. talking about the rock art of the Philippines, of Indonesia, of Thailand. Uh, I'll I'll speak about some you know some generalities, but you know there are other experts than than me who are more knowledgeable than I am on rock art. And then around the world, we have uh, experts from Australia, from Europe, from Africa. From the US, we'll talk about uh, from South America, we'll talk about rock, uh, rock art in these parts of the world. So, you know, no matter where you're coming from in the world, you will come away learning something new. Absolutely. That's fabulous. Sounds like sounds like a course I should take. <laughs> it, would, it would definitely broaden my horizons. And I'm uh, I'm envious for you putting on such a such a fantastic platform. That is absolutely wonderful. When does it kick off, Doctor? It, it'll start sometime in May next year. So, so look out for announcements starting around March and April. Wow, May of next year. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Well, congratulations on putting together such a, a complex, sophisticated program and one that uh, provides such an amazing outreach for the, for the globe and putting the study of rock art on the world stage, which uh, doesn't often happen. Yeah, it, so it, it is one of those rare uh, joys of my of my job. I do get to do really cool projects. Well, yeah, this is a very cool project, let me tell you. So is there anything you want to sort of leave our audience as a trailer to sort of uh, talk about, you know, where you've been, where you're at and where you want to go? with the study of rock art in your particular niche in uh, Southeast Asia. And um, maybe what you want to talk about next. Hmm. So in the next, in the next year, uh, now that we can resume field work, you know, I, I've managed to do some field work this year in Thailand and found, found a few sites, it's great. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. and, and hopefully in next, in the next year or two, we'll be looking at sites in, uh, uh, again, in Thailand, but also in Laos and in Vietnam. I, I, I have had like a, a bunch of sites that I want to get at uh, in the long term. So, you know, in the in the course of my work, like maybe 5% of my time is devoted to research. And I usually use that time to just go out to a rock art site in, in my part of the world and do a, mm -hmm. a systematic recording. And so now that travel can resume, hopefully soon, we are, I'll probably get back into that and, and we'll get some some papers out of that. And I think that's really important for, for, for me uh, to just oh, yeah. still be a practicing archaeologist, even though sure. these days I'm, I'm more behind the desk. And, uh, you know, for fun, I've, I've just made a coloring book on, on archaeology in Southeast Asia. You have a coloring book on Southeast Asian rock art? Well, there is a rock art site there from East Timor, not, not, uh, not very well known. Yeah. But yeah, you know, during, during the lockdowns last year, I decided to make a set of coloring pages for mm. uh, my website audience. You know, if you're stuck at home and you need something creative to do, it was it was fun to for me to make coloring pages. I, I made coloring pages out of my Instagram feed, uh, <laughs> and then I and then I I, I, I share them and I'm like, oh yeah, people people kind of enjoy them. And so I, I finally got around to to making more pages and turning them into a book. I love this. Uh, I love and this. And so now and now I, I it, it just it just got released uh, earlier this month. Uh, and and um, yeah, you know, it's 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 something that I, I'm no, you're I'm, amazing. Uh, quite proud of because <laughs> yeah, I never thought of myself as being artistic to begin with. Yeah, yeah. But you're artistic, but also you you have uh, ambitions and background in such a 
eclectic array of subject matters and you're at the helm of such an exciting series of interactions with all kinds of demographics, all kinds of stakeholders and, and interesting people. Yeah, I think this is fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Noel, it's really a pleasure to get to know you a bit better. I have to have you back again soon because I'm sure that whatever we did in this little podcast was just a beginning <laughs> to try to scratch the surface on on what's going on in Southeast Asian rock art. And it's uh, sure there's so many tangents that we can we can get off on. Uh, Southeast Asia is such a, a diverse place, and there's so many, you know. And we're just scratching the surface. Here yes. we're just speaking in English. Yes. Uh, you know, we're talking about such a, a, a limited area. You know, most of Southeast Asia doesn't speak English. Most archaeologists in Southeast Asia don't speak English, and that is that is uh, such a, a big barrier that needs to be crossed. Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, gang, see you next week on the Flip Flop. I hope you've enjoyed our adventures in Southeast Asia with Dr. Noel. And um, next week, a surprise again. Never know what you're going to hear on the Rock Art Podcast because it's always a surprise. Take care, gang. Have a good uh, Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster, Rachel Roden, Laura Johnson, Max Lander, and... This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fro.